Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Friday, February the 23rd, 2024. It is currently 1.51 p.m. Central Time, and I am coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, I don't know exactly how many years ago it was. I don't know if it was 10 years, 15 years. It may have been more like 15 years ago. It was a very long time ago. I was standing behind the pulpit at Victory Baptist Church located in the middle of nowhere, Texas, Ovalo, Texas, to be exact. And I don't remember exactly what the sermon was about, but I was probably talking something about, you know, the civil rights movement in the 1960s and and some of the things and how many churches actually supported, you know, denying civil rights to people because of their race and and people wanting not, you know, to to segregation uh, and instead of, you know, bringing people together and and, and just all the different things that that I, I was talking about in that time. And I think what I was trying to demonstrate is that there are clear times in church history, clear times in church history where the church just gets it wrong. The church is on the wrong side of things, right? That we demonstrate a, a lack of, I don't know what we show. We, we just show that we, we are really, really got something confused and wrong. And you could talk about slavery and how many churches got that wrong. You could talk ha- about denying people, um, uh, denying people the, 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 the civil rights and, and just, you know, wanting to, to ensure that we keep, I guess, races separate and just denying. I mean, we could just, we could talk about so many different uh, issues, but I, I was talking about all of that. And at some point in it, I probably mentioned Martin Luther King Jr. I probably mentioned Mar- Martin Luther King Jr. And I was referring to Martin Luther King Jr. for what he did in the civil rights. I was probably talking about his contributions to civil rights. He, he obviously promoted a, a, a pacifistic way of, of standing against what he felt was unjust law. And um, I, I, I said, obviously, some positive things about it, but nothing, you know, I, I, thought it, I thought it all made sense with everything I was talking about because I was trying to refer to how the church gets things wrong sometimes and we're on the wrong side of things, but we always feel that we're morally superior and we always we're so condemning and pointing our finger, but sometimes we are in the wrong. I mean, look in many ways, many aspects of, of purity culture. I should have mentioned this in the last hour, how... Um, some of that the church just got it wrong and 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 the if you listen to the last live broadcast there was a pastor's hey he what he said was horrible and sometimes we just don't see it well i got done i didn't think anything about it and there were some people who were visiting they weren't members and they immediately like they 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 left the pew and come you know that that they're making a beeline straight towards you you know you know, immediately when someone's doing that, uh oh, something, they, they're coming to prove me wrong. They're going to come show me something. And you always can kind of tell when that's getting ready to happen. You can, you're like, oh, well, I know so and so. They're going to show me something because they're going to tell me that I'm wrong. Okay. So you prepare yourself. You're right. You're ready. And so I was ready. Okay. I'm like, I wonder what verse I got wrong. I wonder if there was a verse I missed. I wonder. And they were like, you do realize. That Martin Luther King Jr. was an ungodly man and he's in hell. I'm like, wait, what, what just happened? Wait, what, what, what? And, and so then it was kind of weird. It's like, what do you, like, I wanted to say, why do you feel so compelled? 
that speaking positive of Martin Luther King Jr. in regards to the civil rights movement, why do you feel so compelled that I need to know that he was an ungodly man and he's in hell? Why, why do you feel so compelled? Why does it, because if I was to speak about any person in church history, anyone, would you feel compelled for me to make sure you know that that person's in hell, right? Like, I mean, we could pick anyone in church history, right? Do, 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 do you feel compelled to tell me that? Like, it was, it was just felt like, what, what is the ultimate agenda here? Because you seem really, really bothered that anybody would say anything positive about Martin Luther King Jr. You feel like, and so you kind of start asking, like, I wonder what's going on. Well, that is an experience I had. I, I walked away from it kind of still confused. And I, to this day, I still don't really know what their agenda was. They never came back to the church because I guess you don't speak of Martin Luther King Jr. unless, unless you give a clear clarification that that person is in hell. Of course, they felt assured that they're going to heaven and they were assured that that person's going to hell. Sometimes it raises the question. I think some Christians pastime is to sit around making a list of who's going to heaven and who's going to hell as as if they're in charge of it, right? That they they know, they know, right? Hey, I'm going to, and they base it not on whether someone believes in Jesus. They base it off what they believe that person is doing, not doing. And they feel that that is sufficient enough to judge whether someone's going to heaven or hell. But the way I understand it, if someone puts their faith in Christ, all their sins are forgiven, so if all their sins are covered in the blood of Christ, then how can you point to sin to prove that they're not going to heaven if they're saved by grace alone to faith alone because Christ alone? Okay, we could get in a whole discussion about that. But it does feel like some Christians have a, they, they, they need a new hobby, right? They, they're like, I don't watch movies on Netflix, but I can tell you who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. Maybe just watching Netflix may be a better uh, pastime, but I've seen this play out. So I wasn't too shocked when I came across a news article dated February the 21st, 2024, where it has pastor, insert name, says Martin Luther King Jr. wasn't a Christian at all. His life was immoral. So once again, here's a pastor saying someone's not saved who, you know, lived a you know, I mean, they, they've, they haven't been around in a while, right? Okay, so we're going to look back in the past. We're going to say that person wasn't saved. And we're going to base it on not whether they believed in Jesus. We're going to base it on not, we're not going to base it on the work of the cross. We're going to base it on what a person does or doesn't do, which seems to imply that we're basing salvation on what people do, not in what people put their faith in, which again, I find somewhat problematic for me. Well, an imputed righteousness perspective. If we were looking at it from an infused righteousness perspective, which is Roman Catholicism, okay, but if we're looking at it from an imputed righteousness, a person, a person's salvation is not based on what they do or do, don't do. It's based off the imputed righteousness of Christ, which you obtain by faith and faith alone. Okay. So, which I know this, this gets so, it's just so weird how we've lost sight of this. I mean, that was like a key to the Protestant Reformation. So I'm going to read now the whole headline. Pastor John MacArthur says Martin Luther King Jr. wasn't a Christian at all. And he says it in a very assertive, dogmatic way, as if he knows. Like he know he can look and decide. I guess he has I maybe John MacArthur has access to the throne of heaven and he can look inside the book of life and he knows who's there and who's not there. I I, I guess that, that that's gotta be that's gotta be pretty awesome that Pastor John MacArthur not only 
you know, has this huge church and giant ministry and is well respected by everyone in the world, but he's also, you know, has access to, you know, the book of life and he knows who's in it and he knows who isn't. Now, I was going to kind of somewhat just kind of ignore this, but then I'm like, you know, this deals with a lot of issues. Really, it does. It deals with an issue of how we understand the gospel, how we understand imputed righteousness versus infused righteousness. It really isn't about John MacArthur at all, right? It's really about some of these deeper theological issues. However, because John MacArthur is attached to it, well, then obviously now it's gone viral and everyone's talking about it. And there's a clip of the audio going around on social media. So then I'm like, okay, well, at least I will uh, address this. So I grabbed the audio. I have, I have it uh, downloaded and then I amplified it because uh, once again, the volume was too low. Um, I, it's four minutes and 56 seconds. I, I'm assuming the Shepherds Conference hasn't happened yet, has it? Did this happen at the Shepherds Conference? Hang on, let me see here. Uh, let's see here. I'm gonna see. Well, no, they don't. They don't tell us where these comments were made. Hang on, I'm, I'm looking. Um, yeah, I see because I think the uh, Shepherds Conference is in March, right? I believe it's in March. Maybe, maybe I missed something. I don't know. Um, but uh, he, he made these conference. It, it's a it's a question and answer. So someone in the audience. Uh, is asking some questions and then MacArthur interjects. And when he interjects, not only does he go after Martin Luther King Jr., he's going to go after, uh, he's going to go after uh, TGC, the Gospel Coalition. He's going to go after also Together for the Gospel, T4G. So he's going to go after a number of organizations. He's going to go after Martin Luther King Jr. I mean, MacArthur's just going to go after everyone. Okay. Which again, I mean, and, and look, no one act like I don't know what I'm referring to. John MacArthur is really responsible for discipling me in many ways, right? I mean, I mean, his, I mean, everything about MacArthur shaped my entire ministry, my preaching, my understanding of the gospel was MacArthur, 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 MacArthur. I probably have listened to every sermon the man's ever preached, uh, probably up to the last maybe yeah, to 10 years ago, I used to pay money to get his, the cassettes from his church, uh, sent to me, or, you know, because, uh, the, the sermons, uh, the sermon, the Sunday sermons were then recorded and then sent out by cassette back then. Uh, so I, I like, I mean, I've, I've probably read every book, uh, that he has ever written, books put out by, uh, the Master Seminary. So I, I'm very familiar with his teaching. And I think we can all agree that MacArthur is very quick to point out everyone else is wrong and condemn a whole lot of people. Right? I mean, he does that. I mean, that's just, that's just fair. So I'm not shocked that he would go after this group or this group or this group and this group and this group is wrong 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 and this group is wrong. So, I mean, that, that's kind of on, I think that's pretty on brand, right? I think that's pretty on brand. So let's listen to what he has to say. And, uh, well, it appears according to John MacArthur, Martin Luther King Jr. is in hell. Now let's listen to what he has to say. On those who are in it, especially in light of scriptures such as 2 Corinthians 6.17, Galatians 5.9, and 2 John 10.11. That last one, Phil Johnson recently preached on very well down in Florida. Yeah, so there are, there are some major organizations that have been around for the last uh, at least 10 years. Uh, one was the Gospel Coalition. Started out 
with noble intent to bring different people together, leaders, pastors, theologians, uh, around the gospel. It was very much like T4G, together for the gospel, uh, th that had that conference. We had as many as 10,000 people. I was a part of that uh, every year at these huge conventions, and it was together for the gospel. But um, both of those organizations, well, T4G is, is basically non-existent. They, uh, they bought into the deceptiveness of the woke movement and the racial um, baiting that was going on a couple of years ago, and it literally put them out of existence. I was thinking... Okay, so he's starting off by talking about these organizations. Well, they at one point had a conference of 10,000 people. It would be interesting to know how much the money those 10,000 people paid to get into said uh, conference. I don't know if they were charging at that time. I know some of these conferences, we just looked at one the other day, charging $248 for you to get in to hear the word of God preached. Isn't that great? And I just received another um, another one that uh, I got, because I get these emails, these ministries never stop bothering me with this, always sending me these emails about these conferences. And I'm the most anti-conference person you can think of because of, I don't believe people should be charging money to get inside a church to hear the word of God preached. I know, call me crazy. And it was for 400, either between 400 and $600 for a three-day conference. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. You got to be kidding me. All right, so I don't know how much 10,000 10, people I mean, even if you're only charging a dollar to get in, that's $10,000, okay? And I mean, you start, you just start raising the price. That's some serious cash. Okay, but all right, maybe it was free. Maybe, I'm hoping it was free. So he says, so the bottom line is that these groups, well, and I'm going to quote, they went on to, MacArthur goes on to allege that T4G bought into the deceptiveness of the woke movement and the racial baiting that was going on a couple of years ago, and it literally put them out of existence. So they went woke, racial baiting. Now, what is racial baiting? How did that ministry, I mean, he's making an accusation against a ministry that they, they bought into racial baiting. Now, you may not have liked a comment, but are, were they buying into racial baiting? Just because you disagree doesn't necessarily mean that they're woke, Right. I mean, I see when I when I hear that language, I hear the church leaving theology, leaving scripture. And now we're getting into these are political concepts. You're woke. I've heard I, I think I think if Jesus was around, there would be many within the Christian church like he's a woke liberal. Hey, what is that? I, I think there's some things about Christianity. I think if you even preach, people don't even realize, no, that's Christianity. That, that, that's not wokeness. That's not liberal. So uh, that sometimes drives me crazy because it's very much politically loaded language. That's not theological language. That's not theological language. What did they change theologically? What did they do? Th now, if you have a theological, biblical argument against them, then by all means. But if you're going against them just because they view maybe some social issues different than you, and you accuse that of being woke, they may accuse you of ignoring scripture. Like, like it may be a scriptural issue. But okay, so he goes after them for that. Now he's going to talk about how they did something to honor R.C. Sproul. Right? He's gonna so they're gonna go into how they, they honored RC Sproul. And from honoring RC Sproul, then they decided to honor somewhere else. And that's where MacArthur had a problem. Because RC Sproul, it was great to honor him. 
But the next person they honored, it was bad because the next person they honored, well, wasn't a Christian. Now, I would have to go listen to how did they honor that person. But let's, let's listen to what MacArthur had to say. Thinking the other day how interesting it was that the, the last panel discussion that I was on at a T4G event was, was to honor R.C. Sproul, who had died. And I, I spoke at his funeral. This was, I think, 2017 or 2018. But, uh, so t- the T4G guys wanted to honor him with a panel, and we, we spent an hour, an hour and 15 minutes. And it was just beautiful tributes to R.C. from all of us who knew him so very, very well. And the strange irony was a year later they did the same thing for Martin Luther King, who was not a Christian at all, whose life was immoral. Okay, so then they honored Martin Luther King, and that's where MacArthur has an issue, because he was not a Christian and his life was immoral. Now, the question is, are you saying he's not a Christian because he denied substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ? He denied the deity of Christ. He denied uh, Christ's sacrifice. He didn't believe that he was a sinner and needed salvation. Like, or, or are you going after him for not being a Christian just simply because his life was immoral? Well, if, immo- immo- if an immoral life is proof of not being a Christian, then I guess we're all in trouble because we're all immoral. Because if, if you're going to say immorality is a lack of conformity to God's holiness, we're all immoral in some way, shape, or form. It may take different shapes and forms, but we're all immoral. We all fall short. Even our good works are nothing but filthy rags. We are all sinners. So I don't know if he's judging the lack of Christianity on the immorality or if he's, if he's judging the lack of Christianity based on some things that Martin Luther King Jr. believed. Now, if it's a theological issue, you can say he was not a Christian because he believed this, 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 and this. That's not historical biblical Christianity. All right? All right? So you could do that. Now you're in a theological... If you're going to judge it based off immorality, now you've got to be very careful because now, wait a minute. So every person who's, how, how much immorality can be in a person's life before you prove that they're not saved? Because I thought we were saved by an imputed righteousness, not based off the level of morality, which is or isn't in someone. Now, if you believe in an infused righteousness and immorality now somehow destroys the grace of God, okay, well, now we're going back to Roman, uh, we're, we're going back to, uh, uh, going back to Roman Catholicism. If you, that's an infused righteousness concept. Which to, and then if you commit immorality, you're destroying the grace of God. Now you've committed a mortal sin. But from our perspective, no. Now you can you may say that immorality in someone's life life raises questions, let raises concerns, has to be addressed, must be confronted, needs to be repented of. I'm all for that. The apostle Paul was dealing with a very immoral church. Very immoral church. It's called the Church of Corinth. He referred to them as carnal, fleshly, but he also referred to them as babes in Christ. Now, I know MacArthur has a different interpretation of that passage. I'm very aware of that. But I think it's very clear that Paul didn't just immediately say they weren't saved. 
So, does MacArthur offer any clarification? Well, let's see. I'm not saying he didn't do some social good, and I've always been glad that he was a pacifist or he could have started a real revolution. But you don't, you don't honor a non-believer um, who misrepresented everything about Christ and the gospel in an organization alongside honoring somebody like R.C. Sproul. This was a symptom of the impact of the woke movement that basically displaced that whole organization. That was really, it was over after that. And uh, some of the effects of those men who were leaders there are still going on. And it had a negative effect on their leadership and I think even the role they play in evangelicalism today. Well, the Gospel Coalition kind of followed the same pattern. And today, the Gospel Coalition is propagating just about anything and everything, um, good, bad, and indifferent. So, no, I, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable with the Gospel Coalition. You know, once a few years ago, we tried to to be uh, friends, to warm up with them, and they said they would like to have a conference at Grace Church. And so we said, well, that would be great. Um, they, they said, we've, we've associated with some of the wrong people, some of the compromising people, and we'd, we'd like to identify with you. And um, so we said, well, well, we'll certainly consider that. Send us the program that you would like to have here. And I remember they sent us a program of speakers that we would never, ever, ever have here, dealing with issues of gender and all that kind of thing. So these, um, these amorphous evangelical organizations without diligent, uh, fastidious, vigilant leadership to keep them faithful to the truth of Scripture, just wander off into everything and they, they become, I guess in a sense, useless as an entity. There would be people in, in, in all of these that are still good people and honor the Lord, but the inability to discern what was really going on broke them into pieces and the Gospel Coalition is, is like Christianity today. It's Christianity astray. <laughs> That's good. Okay. That's good. See, so when I, That's good. That's good. Christianity today, it's Christianity astray. <laughs> That's good. It, sometimes Christianity gets reduced to that. Oh, we got a good zinger. We got a hot take. We got a little insult that we can throw at somebody because we don't like them. I, oh, that's so junior high to me. That's so junior high. Now, look, he didn't, he didn't articulate, he didn't, you know, offer any great, you know, explanation for his views on Martin Luther King Jr. I know there's been plenty of things written about him that he was a horrible man and there's things been written about him. He was a great man. There's things written about his Christian faith and there are things written calling his faith into question. Everyone will throw everything out at everyone. So here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do. 
All right. And then he goes after the Gospel Coalition. I have the gospelcoalition.org website open. I look at the Gospel Coalition website on pretty much a, a weekly basis, sometimes a daily basis. Um, I think there's plenty of content they put out that's great. Um, but okay. All right. I guess they're woke and they're liberal. I've seen a lot of people criticizing it. But typically when I hear the Christians criticizing the Gospel Coalition, they are tend, tend to be pro-Trump, pro-Republican. And it's like, uh, I don't know. I think your politics may be showing. I think your politics may be showing. I don't know if your theology is showing. Again, the church has become this really mutated entity that is so infected with political ideology that sometimes I don't know when we're looking at things from a theological perspective or a political standpoint. Sometimes I don't know. Sometimes I have no way of understanding which it is. And I apologize that the phone is ringing up here, but there's nothing I can do about that. All right. So, but sometimes that drives me absolutely crazy that that happens. So here's what I want to do. I want to separate this. I want to separate this completely from MacArthur. Because it, because everyone's going to get all caught up. MacArthur, 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 MacArthur. I would like to just sep- separate it from MacArthur, forget about that. And I want to look at this from a very important theological perspective, okay? Now, for if you're following the historical lectionary uh, today, you should look at it. You should look at the readings today, because I think there's a little bit of this concept here. And I, and I want to just try to make this very clear, all right, about the gospel. I want, I want to make sure we have an understanding about the gospel. The gospel is the good news that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son to this earth. The, the second person of the Trinity took on human flesh. And in his life, he kept God's law perfectly. He obeyed every law. He obeyed it. And then he went to the cross where my sin and my disobedience to to said law, my disobedience to said law was imputed to him, accredited to him. And God poured out his wrath upon his son punishing him for my sin. He endured the wrath of God. He he took all of God's wrath upon himself. He was the propitiation. He 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 drank the cup full for me. So in Christ, right? When I put my faith in Christ, then this is what happens. My sin is paid for. It's done. It's gone because Jesus drank all of God's wrath for me. It's gone. There's no wrath left for me. There's not a drop of wrath left for me. It has been taken care of fully. Christ was the propitiation. He took care of it all. So God's wrath is satisfied. My sins are paid for. My sins are washed away in the blood of Christ. And then this is the most important thing. Remember that obedience of Christ? where He obeyed all the law. Now his righteousness is imputed to me. Now, this is all by faith. Nothing, look, my, 
you, you can point to any action that I may commit. You may, you may look at my life and go, he was an immoral man who was ungodly. And you'll be right. I'm an immoral man who's ungodly. I got no problem owning that. But guess what? All of that immorality, it's been paid for in G- it, by Christ Jesus. It doesn't excuse anything. I'm wrong for anything I've ever done. I'm wrong for anything I'm doing. I'm wrong for anything I will ever do. It's a sin. I need to struggle against it, fight against it, and turn from it. It's not a justification of the sin, but it's an acknowledgement that I'm a sinner. But it's all been paid for, covered in the blood of Christ, removed as far as the east is from the west, thrown into the deepest ocean. It's been paid for. And then Christ's obedience is imputed to my account. So now I stand before Christ completely forgiven, not just forgiven. I'm now declared holy, righteous, perfect. Well done, thy good and faithful servant, because I'm in Christ Jesus. That's the gospel message. The gospel message isn't, I did this and I do 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 this. No, if you want proof of my salvation, look to Christ. If you say, well, if someone is saved, they will do A, they will do B, they will do C, they will do D, they will do E, they will do all of these things. You know what? I will say, you're right. I will do all of those things. In Christ Jesus, I have done all of them. You say, a Christian will do this and a Christian won't do this. You're right. In Christ, I I do the right things and I don't do the wrong things. Somehow the church has forgotten that. You don't judge someone's faith. You don't judge someone's salvation by what they do or don't do. My, if you're going to judge my salvation, look to Jesus Christ. His obedience is my obedience. It's accredited to my account. All of my disobedience has been paid for. It's forgiven. So what's, what sins are you going to throw in my face? Make any accusation you want. It is God who justifies. I am not justified by my actions. I am justified by the work of Christ. The the Protestant church has almost abandoned this to some level. And we've almost gone, I'm telling you, we're returning to Rome faster than anybody wants to admit. We want to believe in an infused righteousness. Okay, you believed in Jesus. He infused you with righteousness. Now you'll do A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And if you don't do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and if you're doing any of these other things, you got to do the right things and do the wrong things. And if you don't do them right, well, then you were never saved. Well, that means you're saying my salvation is an infused righteousness. If it's an imputed righteousness, guess what? By faith, I'm declared perfectly righteous, even though I'm not. I'm declared perfectly righteous, even though I'm a sinner. And I know that's difficult for some Christians to wrap their mind around because like, no, 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 no. It's based off what we do. No, it's not. I'm going to remind you of the words of the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome. What shall we say then? That Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Not Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him... That justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Did you hear that? Who you believe on him that justifies the ungodly, 
Your faith is counted for righteousness, even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. It's not based off what we do. It's not based on that in any way, shape, or form. And you say, no, but the Bible says, if you don't do this, if you don't do this, and I've got no problem. That is law. You know what the law shows me? Well, then I'm in trouble. But guess what I can say? You're right. I have to do this. I have to do this. I'm supposed to love God. I'm supposed to love others. I'm supposed to do this. And you know what? You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. And guess what? In Christ, I've done every single one of those things. In fact, in Christ, I do them better than anyone because in Christ, I am perfect, holy, and obedient. Place all the demands you want upon me. Give me all of the lordship tests you want to give me. I pass them with flying colors. In Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, I'm a new creature. The old is gone. Everything is new. In Christ, not in practice. In practice, I'm not new. I'm the old sinner that I always have been. The sin is still there. I still fall short. I don't love God the way I'm supposed to love God. I don't love my neighbor. I'm not as holy as God is holy. I don't, I lust and I have pride and I have bitterness and I have unforgiveness and I am selfish and I'm a jerk and I'm judgmental and I'm condemning and I'm unloving. And I I, I mean, do you want me to go down the laundry list of everything I have done, am doing and will do? You say, well, you're not saved. Well, because you're judging me according to man's judgment. I am, my salvation is based off what Christ has done. You cannot see my imputed righteousness because it's imputed. You can't see it. You can't judge it. You can't critique it. You can only judge and critique what I'm doing practically. And I got no problem saying that's wrong and that's wrong. And you're right. It probably is wrong, but that doesn't change my salvation. Now, I don't know exactly what MacArthur was trying to say by condemning Martin Luther King Jr. Maybe he's doing so in the grounds of a theological difference, and that's okay. He did, he could have pointed out, but he went to the immoral. He went to the immoral part, which is, which is literally the way lordship salvation looks at everything. How do you know you're saved? Not to, you know, lordship doesn't point you to the finished work of Jesus Christ. Lordship points you to look to your life. How do you know you're saved? Do you do this? Do you do this? Trust me, I know MacArthur's test. I've taken my church through the MacArthur's test multiple times. And it's like, do you do this? Do you do this? Do you not do this? Do you do this? Look to yourself. No, stop looking to yourself. If you're even remotely honest with yourself, you'll be like, woe is me. I am undone. Look to Christ. He did all of those things for you. Some people look to the Sermon on the Mount. This will prove whether your repentance was genuine. The Sermon on the Mount will prove whether you're saved. No, the Sermon on the Mount will prove that without Christ, I am condemned because it's in the very Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, be ye perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. You're never going to be that. Jesus said, I believe it was in the Sermon on the Mount, that your righteousness must exceed those of the scribes and the Pharisees. He's not talking of a practical righteousness. You need an imputed righteousness. If you look at the lectionary today, you can look at Ezekiel. It sounds like your judgment's going to be based on what you do or don't do. 
Well, it may be based on what I do or don't do, but when I stand before God, he can judge my works because the works that are now mine are the works of Christ that are imputed to my account. So you know what God will say when he looks to my, when he looks to my uh, life? He will say, well done, that good and faithful servant, because I'm in Christ Jesus. So I, I, I don't... What MacArthur has to, he can, he can condemn all of those organizations. He can condemn Martin Luther King. He can condemn the whole world. It doesn't matter. What matters and what salvation is based off of has a person put their faith in Jesus Christ. And if they have, and if they're trusting in him alone for their salvation, then they're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. And they are saved because of an imputed righteousness. Their practical righteousness may always be questionable. In fact, it's going to always be questionable in some way. Some people may live a, a more moral life. Some people may live a more immoral life. It, it doesn't justify the immorality, but there's sin in everyone's life. Everyone is sinning. MacArthur sins whether he wants to acknowledge it or not. Everyone does. No one lives up. We all fall short. And so what we try to do is like, well, you have to have a certain level. See, if you have this level of morality, you're good to go. Based off what? If I break one point of the law, I'm guilty of all of it. So this is what I would say. We got to be very careful judging who is or who isn't in the kingdom of God. I start with I would go to the Heidelberg Catechism almost. What what is your only hope in life and in death? What is your only hope in life and in death? In fact, I'm going to pull up the Heidelberg Catechism really quick because I think the first part of it is so beautiful, okay? Give me one second here because I wasn't, uh, wasn't thinking about this until right now, right? Here it is, Heidelberg Catechism. Heidelberg Catechism. Question one. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul and life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. So so the bottom line is my hope is in Christ. What is my only hope? What I need to know is not whether you're living a good life or a battle. I need to know what is your, what are you trusting in? I am trusting in the fact that Christ saved me a sinner. I have put my faith in his work, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the father. I have put my hope and my confidence is in him. He has died for me. I'm a sinner. He died for me. I'm looking for something along those lines. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm going to judge salvation off of. Now, I may say, okay, well, that's awesome that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, and I am glad. Trust in that. Rest in that. Find peace in that. Find comfort in that. Because if you put your faith in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Now, we got an issue. And your issue may be different than my issue, but we have an issue. Because you have sin, and I have sin. And we need to fight against it. And we need to struggle against it. We need to try to repent of it. 
but why am I going to sit around and go, ah, well, I don't know. I don't know if they're saved. 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 I have no idea what was in, uh, what Martin Luther King Jr.'s relationship was with God or what he believed or didn't believe. I could try to figure it out. I mean, I guess if I want to go spend all of my time trying to figure out who's in the kingdom and out of the kingdom, I guess I could go through church history. I guess I could go through history and pick every person. I don't know if it's going to make me feel morally superior. Now, I got no problem if you say, hey, this per- these, they had a conference and they honored this man. Well, what did they say about the man? Why did they have it? I mean, you could, you could argue, I could argue about what happens at all kinds of conferences. Is that appropriate? Not appropriate. Now we get into regulative normative principle. We get into some of those issues. But again, I don't care. I don't, I don't want to make it about MacArthur. I don't want to make it about any, I don't even want to make it about Martin Luther King Jr. I want to make it about how is someone saved? They're saved by an imputed righteousness, by faith alone, not according to works. No one is justified by works. Why? Because we could never be justified by works. Our works don't justify us to get saved. And I don't think you should be looking to works to justify that you are saved. Because works are judged according to God's law and God's law demands perfection internally, externally, and it demands it perpetually. And you're going to fall fall short. Your only hope is in the finished work of Christ and in imputed righteousness. That is what I think is the issue here. Everyone wants to talk about what MacArthur said in regards to those those uh, ministries, and those ministries may respond, they may not respond. I don't know. Some people will make this about what he said about Martin Luther King Jr. I think everyone's missing the point. This raises questions about the gospel, and do do we walk around making that determination? I have a hard enough time. I just got to worry about me. I look to other people. I don't know if I'm going to run around trying to determine who's in and who's out. You can contact me, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. I do apologize for the phone ringing during this message. I forgot that the phone was up here, and I, I never bring it up to the studio. I have no idea why I did, so I apologize for that. But please don't let that distract from this very important conversation about what the gospel is or isn't. Thank you for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.